0: Well today we are continuing our sermon series that's called Soul Sisters, where we're looking at the stories of five different women in the Bible because these women have so much to teach all of us about faith and what it means to respond to the love of God in our lives. As I mentioned last week, unfortunately, uh, throughout the church's history, these women and and their stories have tended to be overshadowed and and overlooked in in different ways, so we're hoping to counteract that in this series. As we spend some time getting to, to know these women because uh, the, their examples are important. And um, we all need to, to learn from these women. Uh, their stories are, are helpful and, and inspirational and important. So I'm excited to continue the, the series with you this morning. But before we jump into it, would you pray with me? Oh, gracious and loving God, we thank you as always for this time and this space that we have to, to turn our hearts and turn our attention towards you. God, we ask you to open us up now. And help us to hear your voice anew this morning, God. uh, Speak those words of comfort that we need to hear in our hearts today, Lord. Uh, But also, God, prepare us to be pushed and and challenged. We know that for every single one of us, you're you're calling us to grow, to become more like the people that you created us to be. So uh, make us receptive and, and help us to be ready to respond to your call today. We pray all of this. In the name of Jesus, who is the living word, amen. Well, I know that uh, many of us have been praying over these past few weeks for the people of Louisiana as they deal with the devastation from uh, Hurricane Ida that that came through. Um, Seeing some of those images has reminded me of the images that we saw of Hurricane Katrina that hit New Orleans back in 2005. I know some of y'all will remember that. Um, I was actually in high school back in, in 2005. I remember when Hurricane Katrina hit, I was kind of at that age where I had just sort of started watching the news a little bit, and I just remember seeing those images of people trying to swim for safety, people stranded on the roofs of their houses waiting to be rescued, people being bused by the thousands over to Houston just so that they could have some shelter and a dry place to collect themselves. It was, it was jarring to see all of that. And I remember around the same time, uh, it came out in the news that Pat Robertson or some other evangelical leader, I think it was Pat Robertson, but he had come out and said that Hurricane Katrina was a punishment that was sent from God because of the many sins of the city of New Orleans. And I remember hearing that, and as a high schooler, uh, I, was, I was floored that anybody could look at all of this destruction and devastation and suffering and declare that somehow God had caused that, that that was God's will. Now, what I now know, uh, through some more life experience is that when any kind of major tragedy hits like that, uh, there are a number of types of Christians who will come forward and and try to attribute that tragedy to God's will or God's plan. Uh, and, and this is not restricted to just major uh events in the in the news cycle but this same idea is sometimes uh, applied to people's personal struggles Uh, and oftentimes it's actually not meant to cast judgment but in a weird kind of a way some christians offer this up as a a form of comfort Uh, you know i have friends who have lost loved ones and in the aftermath of that Some Christians in their lives and sometimes even their own pastor has told them that this is all part of God's plan. I have friends who've struggled with infertility and the Christians in their lives have sometimes told them that that somehow this is all part of God's plan. So this idea that our suffering and our tragedies, that, that that's part of God's plan, this idea is out there. Now, I don't think I have to tell you how hurtful That can be, Uh, you know, maybe for some of you watching this, this is the reason why you walked away from church. You know, somebody told you this at some point and you thought, well, if that's what God is like, then I'm out. I don't want any part of that. And so you you walked away and I don't blame you. I would have walked away as well, after being told something like that. Others of you are more like me, and you know. fortunately, you've never been on the receiving end of this kind of hurtful theology, uh, but nevertheless, I can just about guarantee you that you have friends or family members or neighbors or coworkers who have been on the receiving end of this, and that's the thing that's keeping them from coming back to church. It's the thing that's keeping them away from the church. Um, this idea that our suffering is is somehow a part of God's plan. It's it's out there, but it's incredibly hurtful. What I want us to see today is that not only is this whole idea very hurtful, uh, but also it's just not true. It's just not true. You know, a lot of times when Christians come forward and they try to blame uh, tragedies, big or small, on God's plan, they will cite scripture. You know, they'll have verses or or stories that they point to 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 try to back this up. Um, But what I want us to see today is that that's not true. You know, you can cherry pick certain verses, you can pull different stories out of context, and you can cobble together uh, just about any kind of theology that you want. And you can call that biblical, but but calling it biblical doesn't make it so. Uh, The truth is that the broad narrative of scripture is about a God of compassion. The broad narrative of scripture is about a God of of steadfast love, Um, a God who is not against us. But the broad narrative of scripture is about a God who is always, always, always for us. So to help us uh, explore this, uh, I want us to look at one biblical story this morning where this is on full display. Uh, one biblical story that completely contradicts this whole idea that our tragedies are part of God's plan. Uh, and I think this story is, is especially helpful because it shows us how, as Christians, we can respond in the face of of tragedy. If you've ever wondered how can Christians respond to, to tragic things that happen, whether that's uh, you know, kind of on the global stage and, and in the news or, or in uh, someone's life that, that we know, I think this story uh, sheds some, some helpful light for us on that. So here's the story and, and here's the, the context. This story takes place uh, about 3,000 years ago, give or take, and it's about this family who, when we first meet them, they live in this little town called Bethlehem. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, Yes, this is the same town where Jesus was born, although this is about a thousand years before Jesus was born in this same town. Um, It's a family of four that are kind of the, the main characters. There's a mom. Her name is Naomi. And Naomi has a husband, and she has two So they live in Bethlehem, but at a certain point, there was a famine in that region. And so this family of four, they they pack up their stuff, and they move to a foreign land called Moab. And they move there because Moab is outside the the scope of this famine, and there's food there. So they get to Moab, there's plenty of food, and they decide to put down roots. These immigrants decide to to settle there, and things go pretty well for them. Um, the, The two sons in this family, they end up getting married while they're in Moab. They meet a couple of nice Moabite girls and they end up tying the knot. And in that culture, when young men would get married, they would bring their wife, their new wife, into their household, uh, which they would share with their parents. So this whole extended family, they would all kind of live together in in the same uh, household unit, uh, if if you will. And we're told that they kind of live like that for for 10 years in Moab. They have a, a decade there where... Uh, everything goes well and and life is good. But then, and apparently this was very sudden, uh, then tragedy strikes. Uh, We don't know how, we don't know why, but but one day, Naomi's husband ends up dying. And of course, Naomi is is heartbroken about that. Fortunately for her, she still has her two sons and her two two daughters-in-law, so she's not left without family in this situation. But then, uh, as often seems to happen in life, uh, one tragedy is followed very quickly by another. And again, we don't know how, we, we don't know why exactly, but very shortly after Naomi's husband dies, then her two sons die as well. So that leaves Naomi in this foreign land, and she's emotionally crushed by all of this loss, but in addition to her grief, she's actually got another problem to to deal with. And that is that uh, in this culture, uh, widows who had lost their husband, and particularly widows who didn't have any sons, uh, they could find themselves in a really scary and a really vulnerable position pretty quickly. This was a fairly male-centered culture. Uh, The men of the household, whether that was the husbands or the the sons, they were expected to provide economically for the rest of the household. They were expected to provide protection from thieves and kidnappers and robbers and and other uh, shady folks who would would be roaming about. Um, The men of the household were really the only ones who had legal standing. And so, again, without a husband, without sons in the picture, uh, widows could could find themselves in a really scary and and vulnerable situation. It could get dangerous and, and even desperate. And that's the kind of situation that Naomi suddenly finds herself in. So what does Naomi do uh, as a response to to all of this? Well, she considers all of her options and there aren't many, but ultimately she decides the best thing for her to do is that she's gonna go back to Bethlehem. She's gonna go back home and she's gonna try to find some extended family, some cousins or, or somebody who's willing to take her into their household and let her live with them. Uh, So that's what she does. She packs up all her stuff there in Moab and she sets out on this journey back to Bethlehem. Well, at first, uh, her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, that's their names, Orpah and Ruth, uh, these two daughters-in-law decide they're gonna stick with Naomi. Even though they're from Moab themselves, they're actually gonna follow Naomi back to Bethlehem. So these, these three women set out on that journey together. But not long into their journey, um, suddenly Naomi stops and she turns to her two daughters-in-law, and she says, basically, uh, look, y'all, you are so kind to, to stick with me here. You are so kind to, to follow me back to, to my home, Bethlehem, and, and I appreciate it. I really do. But she says, I-, I got nothing to offer you. She says, you know, y'all are still relatively young, so why don't you go back to Moab, go back to your parents' house, uh, let them fix you up with new husbands. You can start a new family. You can start your life all over again. That's going to be the best thing for you. Well, when Naomi first says that, at first Orpah and Ruth are like, "Well, no way! You know, we're not just going to leave you, Naomi. I mean, come on! You know, they've they've lived together for ten years now. They're they're very close. They're like, we don't want to leave." Uh, and at that point, Naomi just insists, and she's starting to get more emotional now. She says, "You know, you need to go back to Moab. You're better off without me. I can't I can't even take care of myself in this situation. That there's really nothing that I have to offer you." And then she goes on and she says this. She says this. This is Naomi talking to her daughters-in-law. She says, clearly, the Lord's will has come out against me. Uh, Or a more literal translation of that would be, the Lord's hand has gone out against me. And she goes on. She says, don't call me Naomi. She says, call me bitter. Change my name to, to bitter. Why? Because the Almighty has made me very bitter. She says, I went away full but the Lord has returned me empty. Why would you call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty, she says, has deemed me guilty? Do you hear what Naomi is saying in this moment? She's saying that that this whole tragedy, it was caused by God. This was part of God's plan, that God is punishing her for some reason, that God is against her. And because she believes that, Naomi doesn't walk away from faith per se, but she has walked away now from faith in a good and loving God. She's walked away from faith in a God that cares about her, a God that is for her. And if it wasn't for Ruth, and if it wasn't for what Ruth does in response to this, that's probably where Naomi's journey of faith would have come to an end. Well at this point, um, Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, uh, she kind of takes Naomi at her word here, and she says, "Well, okay, uh, you know this is very sad. She, she gives uh, Naomi a, a hug and, and she ends up turning back. She goes back to, to Moab to, to try to start her life over there. Um, but in this moment, Ruth, other daughter-in-law, Ruth has a very different response. And I want us to pay attention to this. Because there's, a, there's an important lesson for us here. After Naomi declares that all of this tragedy is part of God's will, that all of this is part of God's plan against her, Ruth is just very disturbed by that. And, and she straightens up. And it's like she's thinking, no, Naomi, I don't I don't accept that. I, I, just, I can't. You know, she says, I, I, I can't. Uh, she doesn't say this, but it's like she's thinking, I, I can't explain all of this. Tragedy? I can't explain why our our husbands have died and why we're left in this scary, vulnerable position. I don't know if there is a why, if there is an explanation for all of this. But it's like Ruth is thinking in this moment, look, I've I've lived with you guys and and worshiped this God for ten years now. I've been learning about this God alongside of you for for ten years now, and, and here's what I know God did not cause this tragedy because God is with us, even now, especially now, and God is for us. And because Ruth believes that, because Ruth knows the truth about what God is like, watch what she does next. Ruth decides that the best thing she can do is not to lecture Naomi about theology here and, and try to correct her beliefs in that kind of a way, but instead, Ruth decides the best thing she can do is to simply show Naomi what God is really like, to to embody for Naomi the truth about what God is like. And so here's what Ruth says to Naomi in this this pivotal moment. I think this is is so powerful. Um, This is from Ruth chapter one, verses 16 and 17. Ruth says to Naomi, don't urge me to abandon you. Don't urge me to turn back from following after you, but wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you stay, I will stay. Ruth says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. She goes on and she says, wherever you die, Naomi, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do this to me, and even more so, even if death separates me from you. Ruth is saying, I will not turn away from you, Naomi, because I'm with you and I'm for you. Just like God hasn't turned away from you, Naomi, God is with you and God is for you. Ruth is showing Naomi what God is really like And sure enough, Ruth, true to her word, she sticks with Naomi. Uh, The the two of them go back to to Bethlehem. When they get there, uh, Ruth finds some some different ways to to provide for Naomi. Now, to make a long story short, Ruth ends up getting remarried. And at a certain point, Ruth has uh, a baby. And Naomi gets to be the adopted baby Uh, She gets to be the adopted grandma, rather, for for this baby. And in in fact, uh, everybody in town just considers her to be this baby's grandmother. And it's an interesting detail. We're told that when the townspeople see Naomi with her grandbaby and the joy that this has brought to her life, uh, they actually comment, they point out to Naomi how blessed she is. And they name the fact that, look, look how God was with you through all the tragic things that you had to go through. Look how God has led you through all of that. The townspeople could look back and and see that in hindsight in Naomi's story, but Ruth knew it all along because Ruth knew what God is really like, That, that our tragedies and our suffering, that's not part of God's plan, but always and everywhere, God is for us, not against us. God is for us. So how does this 3,000-year-old story apply to you and me uh, today? Well, think for a second. Uh, Think about all the many people in your life. Friends, family members, neighbors, co-workers, whoever. And I bet out of all the folks in your life, you can probably think of somebody who's hurting right now, somebody who's suffering, somebody who's facing some kind of tragic situation. And as you think about that, I wonder if any of those people, maybe they've articulated this to you in some kind of a way, maybe, maybe they haven't, but I wonder if, if some of those people are in a place like Naomi was where they're questioning whether there really is a God, uh, whether they're doubting um, if God is really good, if God is really loving, if God is really for them and, and with them as they navigate whatever hardship they're facing. And so I wonder, what would it look like for you to be a Ruth to that person? Uh, Not to to try to give um, some kind of explanation for, for what they're going through, but to show them what God is like, just like Ruth did, to show them with your actions that God is for them and God is with them. Can you embody that truth by showing that you're still for them and that you're still with them? in this moment what does that look like well you know in ruth's case it meant following naomi all the way back to a a different country i don't think it always has to be uh, quite that uh, dramatic or or quite that big of a commitment it could even be a small thing you know when somebody is hurting it could be a note to that person to say hey uh, i'm thinking about you hey how can i help Um, It could be bringing somebody coffee. It could be giving them a gift card. It could be uh, bringing them a a meal. It could take any number of of different forms. But to to find a way to embody and show the steadfast love of God like Ruth did. You know, I was thinking uh, this week, getting ready for this sermon, uh, what if this is what Christians are known for? Uh, That would be amazing, right? What if when tragedy strikes, Christians weren't known for being those people who are going to come out and and talk about how this is all part of God's plan, but what if Christians were known as the people who, when tragedy strikes, these folks are going to show up and they're going to pour out extravagant love and kindness and compassion, and they're going to embody the steadfast love of God. That would be amazing. Now, I think, you know, for those of us here at, at Kindred Church, we're a relatively small, you know, new church community getting started here. We probably don't have the ability to change the, like, worldwide perception of, of what Christians uh, are, are like and what Christians are known for. But what we can do is you and I can change the perception of what people around us, people in our lives, think about Christians. And what we can do through our actions is, is we can help change people's experience. Uh, and people's understanding of how God is with them and how God is for them through the difficult things that they're facing in their lives. You know, when somebody around us is in that place like Naomi was, where they're questioning and and doubting whether God is really with them, whether God is really for them, uh, someone like a Ruth who can step in and and tell them the truth and show them the truth about who God is, that can be life-changing. In some cases, it can even be life saving and that's what we get to do that's our calling and it can make an extraordinary extraordinary difference let me pray for us well gracious and and loving god um, we thank you for your commitment to us for your covenant love that is always and forever for us Uh, god we are in this world That is broken in so many ways. This world uh, where we face a whole lot more tragedies than we'd like to, God. And we know that that's not your will, that that's not your plan. Uh, God, help us as your church to be people who are a light in the darkness. Help us to be people who point to the truth and embody the truth that you are love and that you are busy redeeming this world, that you will one day put an end to all the suffering and tragedy that we face. God, help us to be uh, beacons of hope as we follow Ruth's example of embodying the love that you have for this entire world and everybody who's in it. God, empower us to do that and empower us to make that difference. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You consider sharing it with a friend who might also enjoy it. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast here and give us a rating that helps us connect with more listeners. This free resource and all of Kindred's ministries are supported by the generosity of people like you. Your are giving Changes Lives, and it helps us to share and embody God's love. If you'd like to make a donation, you can do so on our website at www.kindrednc.church, just select give. You can find lots of ways to connect with our community on our website as well as on our social media pages. Thanks again for listening, and we will catch you next time.